Hello, welcome to the Healthy For Men podumentary series. My name is Tom Rowley. I'm the editor of Healthy For Men magazine. Before we get going, just a quick partnership announcement. This episode is brought to you by Bounce Foods. Now, Bounce's mission is to inspire positive change in the way people eat, think and live, which is what the Healthy For Men podumentary series is all about. If you haven't tried Bounce Balls before, they're full of high quality protein, high quality vitamins and minerals, and they're great for when you're on the go and you need a quick snack. There's also a vegan option called V-Life, which are made from almonds and plant protein. Super tasty, super convenient. Grab a Bounce Ball from any Holland and Barrett store throughout the UK, or visit bouncefoods.com for more information. Hello, thank you for downloading this bonus episode of the Healthy for Men podumentary series in association with Holland and Barrett. My name's Tom Rowley, I'm the editor of Healthy for Men magazine, and in this special bonus episode, we've dug through our archives and recorded a chat that we had with Tim Grimwade back in March this year. You may remember Tim back from an episode of one of our podumentary series called What is Anxiety? If you're a new listener and are working your way through our back catalogue, Tim is a cognitive behavioural hypnotherapist. Now, I'm sure that the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of hypnotherapy is stage hypnotism, where an audience member goes under the spell of a swinging pocket watch. But I can assure you, however, Tim does not do this in his practice. Tim is a cognitive behavioural hypnotherapist, which is very much as it sounds. Um, It's a variation of cognitive behavioural therapy uh, you might know as CBT, uh, which is a technique used by counsellors and psychologists. Cognitive behavioural therapy is a way of approaching a patient's way of thinking to help lead to changes in their emotions and their behaviour. It's most commonly used to treat anxiety and depression, but it can be useful for other mental and physical health problems such as phobias or addiction. In this special episode, Tim shares some of the most common obstacles he's had to face when treating patients who suffer from anxiety and depression. He's compiled for Healthy for Men five simple points which everyone can use to ground themselves during their anxious moments. These points include, number one, have you been doing negative self-hypnosis for years? Number two, what are your current coping strategies and could they be better? Number three, engage what drives you, find your sense of purpose. Number four, aim to be constantly aware of your changing feelings, thoughts and physical sensations. And number five, begin on the path to positive hypnosis. Thank you very much for listening and I hope you enjoy our conversation with Tim Grimwade. My name's Tim Grimwade, and I'm a cognitive behavioural hypnotherapist. This is number one. Have you been doing negative self-hypnosis for years? So, obviously I practice hypnotherapy and I use hypnosis within that. But one of the starting points that I get with a lot of clients is that it becomes apparent that the first task is about dehypnosis. So this is something that people will do, and it's quite widespread, but people won't be aware that they're doing it, is that over the years, and sometimes more recently, but often going back to childhood, they would collect a number of ideas about themselves, really strong thoughts that they've had about themselves after critical incidents or really huge life events. And they've collected them and accumulated them and they've stored them up. 
and they completely believe that they're true. Now, this is not the case that they're necessarily not true, but often it's an unrealistic relationship with these ideas that they've had. So we talked earlier about the possibility of being a procrastinator. And then for the rest of their life, they tell themselves, I'm a procrastinator, because once they did that, I am terrible in social situations. Well, you know, perhaps you had, you were not great once. No one else would have noticed. But your takeaway from a difficult or uncomfortable situation was that you're one of those people that's terrible in a group. We can start to look at these if they're really taken as truths rather than just things that happened and rationalized like that. And they're taken as truths and they influence our future behavior and our expectation of our future performance. We can start to put them in the category of accidental self-hypnosis, of a negative kind. We've called ourselves a lot of names and now we believe it. And that's who we are. That's what we believe. Now, the first task might be to strip all that back, to take all that away and, and find a way where we can go, okay, well, what do we really know about ourselves? Is this subjective or do you have facts around this? Well, we can start to challenge all of that stuff and take it back and then rebuild based on what we want to be and what we're actually capable of rather than how we're limiting ourselves. So the first task, and this is something that people can look at themselves, am I self-hypnotizing? Have I had a history of doing self-hypnosis of a negative kind of myself accidentally? Do I have a bunch of things I believe about myself and that influences me and influences my expectation of performance that is based on not much better than speculation with the odd example in there? So that's the first thing that we can do to challenge ourselves. Number two, what are your current coping strategies and could they be better? So particularly one with regard to social anxiety. When people have got social anxieties, they really don't like to be in particular situations. They might, it might be things that they would find themselves doing at work, public speaking or contributing in group meetings or in a social environment you know, crowds at the pub or at nightclubs, groups of people at restaurants, um, performing duties at people's weddings, you know, best man speech and stuff like that. The coping strategy that most people have is either avoidance or to escape. So it's just their safety seeking mechanism. So they will keep themselves away from these opportunities. You know, your career would be better if you threw yourself into public speaking. Or you'd have that promotion if you were someone that really pipes up in the group meetings and you were free to speak and, and, and kind of uh, contribute in the group. But what's holding you back is your sense of inhibition about that. And it's, and it's you feel safer not to do so. Or in the social environment where you're, you know, at the bar with a prospective partner, it's all going really well. You fancy the hell out of her, but you, you know, after a few sentences, you're getting on fine, but then you make an excuse and leave because it's uncomfortable. And you know that you'll feel okay the minute that you walk away from that. But of course, you're not getting what you really want, which is proper relationships with other people. These are all kind of safety-seeking, uh, coping strategies. And 
it goes without saying that they're pretty useless and self-defeating. In fact, they're self-perpetuating. All of these things do is actually perpetuate the anxiety that we have of this kind. It means that it's inevitable that we'll maintain this anxiety because we're just teaching ourselves that the way not to have the anxiety is to flee the scene. There can be other coping strategies as well, but the point is that when you identify what your coping strategies are, it's possible to start imagining an alternative. And these are not in binary. So, you know, the alternative to fleeing is not stay there forever or stay there until you're a puddle of sweat and you're vomiting on the floor because you're so nervous, but perhaps just training yourself to extend the amount of time that you stay there incrementally and just push at the edge of your comfort zone. Not with the view to doing it all in one go, but just slightly give yourself an opportunity. If it's public speaking, speak in front of two or three people and then five people and then do short speeches, but extend them and extend them. What you'll find is that that threat that you perceive is not there. It's not dangerous. And really soon you start to habituate, start to find that you're okay in these situations and the anxiety gets reduced. You don't fear these situations. You start to see the benefit of the engagement with them. Number three, Engage with what drives you. Find your sense of purpose. One of the things about anxiety is that it deprives us of this. It deprives us of really indulging ourselves in what we really want from life. It takes us away from real life. We suddenly, with anxiety, obsessed with our sense of fear. We become engaged closely with our physical sensations constantly our feeling of sickness or nausea or the sweat on our forehead or the shake in our hands, whatever it is, however it manifests itself, we become obsessed with that. And all of these negative thoughts that go with it, oh, this is going badly and it's only going to get worse. I'm going to feel terrible in a moment. Everybody hates me. They all think I'm a jerk. You know, all of these kinds of things. We'd, we'd, there's a cacophony of negative self-talk going on and we're obsessed with that and our eyes are down. We're not noticing anything externally. We just know about our fear in this. Now, we can't stop that by deciding to stop it. Like we said, you can't stop thinking about something by trying to unthink a thought. In the same way, we're going to accept the fact that all of those things are happening and we're not going to attempt to stop them happening. What we are going to do, though, is remind ourselves to engage with our drives. Why am I here? Why am I doing this? Because I want to be here. What do I want? What is my sense of purpose? What is my ambition? How do I get that? What do I need to do right now to get there? All of these things. We start to look up from ourselves, stop the shoegazing and start to look up and what's on the horizon, turn our attention away from ourselves and what we're aiming towards and what we want. Now this is metaphorical, but it's also physical as well. When people have anxiety, they don't pay attention to what's going on around them. They'd be terrible witnesses to a crime. They wouldn't have noticed because they, their eyes would have been defocused and they'd just be obsessed with what, what their self-talk that's going on. So start to notice the world around you. Engage with the scenery. Engage with what's going on around in the street and engage with what you want from today and remind yourself of it. Every day you can remind yourself of what you want in that day. You can start off by saying, today I want. Give yourself a list of things you want every day.
Number four, aim to be constantly aware of your changing feelings, thoughts, and physical sensations. So this is not to say that we dwell internally, that we, that we turn ourselves internally and are constantly looking at how we feel, what we're thinking. But it's more about being able to be aware of changes in this. This takes an awful lot of practice. So anxiety has a lot of physical sensations associated with it that we've discussed, the sort of nausea or the tightness of the chest or the sweating of the hands or whatever. The idea is to be aware of it as soon as possible as it starts, right at the genesis of this, this feeling. The same with the thought as well. So the first negative thought, or if there's a feeling of fear or sadness that just creeps up from nowhere, at the moment it arises, to notice it and just deal with it. Just notice it and apply it and think, okay, what is that sadness about? Why am I feeling sad right now? And it might be something really small and we can attend to it and therefore we've processed it and we can move on with our day. Or we feel a slight fear. It can be very tiny at the beginning, so it's difficult to pick up on. But we can, we can notice it and apply it to the logic that, that it came from. What am I fearful of right now? Oh, I'm feeling a bit of rejection at the moment. I'm, fr- I'm in front of uh, a crowd of people and I'm just slightly fearful of their judgment of me. Oh, okay. You know, just notice it in a scientific way. We don't have to do anything with it, but just to notice it and give it a certain logic and, and accept the fact that we have a slight fear brought on by that situation, and then we move on. It's literally no more than that. That sounds pretty simple, but it takes an awful lot of practice to have that refinement of our, of our antenna, just to notice it right at the moment that it happens and we deal with it. But then we're not constantly accumulating these things and then when they all build up and build up and we're feeling so terrible and then it takes an awful lot of work by that point to refine them down and to bring them back to their constituent parts and rationalize them far better to do it as we go along and then you're free to enjoy the day as it happens which is an ideal way of being in all cases and then finally number five Begin on the path to positive self-hypnosis. So get a routine of visualization. So we discussed the potential for negative self-hypnosis that we do by accident and we accumulate over the years, but it is possible to begin the alternative, the path for positive hypnosis, whether it's the kind of visualization exercise we discussed earlier, or perhaps with uh, statements that we know are preferable to the ones that we particularly Uh, and typically uh, throw at ourselves, Um, the kind of accusations and slanders that we throw at ourselves, well, we can undo those. We can look in the reverse. I'm in control of my life. I don't have to do anything that I don't like, and I have control ultimately over my destiny, and I will work on that every day. I will never be perfect, but I will try to be good each day, the best that I can be, and that's all that I'll ask of myself. These kinds of much more rational statements are much preferable to the kind of ones that we find ourselves making by accident. So it has to be a more deliberate process. We perhaps 
can benefit from putting it into our routine first thing in the morning or when we get home from work to differentiate from our work selves to our family time at home in downtime version of ourselves or at the end of the day, which means that we pack up all of our thoughts, park everything that's that's live and then manage to get a really good night's sleep with real peace of mind. However suits you, that's the road to travel. Well, I think that's extremely poignant advice. Tim Grimwade, thank you very much for your time. It's been my pleasure. I hope Tim Grimwade's tips were useful to you and you're able to utilise them to combat your own anxieties. Thank you very much for listening and don't forget to pick up your copy of Healthy for Men magazine in any Hollander Barrett store throughout the UK. Uh, on this cover we have the one and only Jason Fox, host of SAS Who Dares Wins and Inside the Real Narcos. We have an exclusive interview with Jason where he shares his experience in the SAS and his top fitness tips. Thank you very much for listening.